my heart is there And I work and try my best To bring peace to everyone The way to help them change their ways The way to have them blessed Just let them hear our guitars and Hey everybody, welcome back. What you're listening to here is a very small piece of history. This is a song called Sweet Music, and it's by a brother singing duo named Lon and Derek Van Eaton. What's really significant about this song and those two is that they were discovered by the Beatles. So they were out of New Jersey, and they sent out a bunch of demos. George Harrison heard their demo, passed it around to Ringo, John, decided we need to sign these guys. Sweet Music is a number one song. Signed them to Apple Records, brought them to the UK, and recorded their debut album, which is called Brother. It came out in the fall of 1972. Ringo and George play on it. In fact, George produced Sweet Music. Klaus Vorman plays on that album. Peter Frampton plays on that album. Unfortunately, it underperformed. And shortly after that, Apple Records went out of business. The brothers, Lon and Derek, George encouraged them to move to LA to become session musicians, which they did. They put out another album a couple years later. That one didn't really go anywhere either. And after a few years of session work, that was pretty much it. I think, given that there are landfills full of books and documentation about the Beatles, there are still millions and millions of people on this planet that care. If you care at all about the Beatles, you might find even the fringe players in their history extremely important. And that's where Derek Van Eaton comes into the picture. I think this is a really important piece of history. In fact, he's really casual. I think his story is more interesting than he does. Hopefully you guys will too. Hopefully you can, you can picture and envision why a story like Derek's is important in the fabric of rock history even though it didn't quite work out. Derek called me from his home about 13 miles up the road from mine in Westminster, Colorado. So the party line on you, the story, is that you and Lon, your brother, are, first of all, you're in a band called Jacob's Creek, and you put out right. one album. Because we lived in New Jersey. Uh, let's go chronological. So how did that happen? Because Jacob's Creek, you end up, is this correct, playing for Andy Warhol? Uh, I remember we went to an Andy Warhol party in New York. It was really bizarre because we had to go through this whole dilapidated part of Manhattan. It looked like everything was completely shut down. Uh, but that's about it. We really didn't have any professional um, involvement. I think Ultraviolet came by and we jammed with her in the Village Albert Hotel when we were in okay. New York. We were there about a year. But no, what we did is we just got a, our keyboard player somehow got us in with somebody he knew. We did a demo in New York with the band and uh, they signed us. Basically, it was a one, I don't know, was, I think it was just a one record deal we did it. And, okay. And then we played some colleges and things afterwards. Yeah. Lived in New York for about a year. Huh. So you never uh, played in front of, you never really knew or played for uh, Andy Warhol. I think, where did I No, but I, 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 I jumped around in the grapes of that. They had a vat of grapes and a pig on a spit. Yeah, because see, when we, went to, when we went to this place, this party, it was like soon after he had gotten shot. Uh-huh. And okay. 
so we uh, we were invited there somehow and walked through this abandoned building. And when we went through the back door, all of a sudden there was this lush, green, beautiful area back there. And that's where the party was. Okay. So really, and he only showed up for a little bit during that. Mm, okay. So it's a slight embellishment. No, we really didn't okay. play. No, we didn't really play any involvement with him in that way. Okay. Okay. I also uh, read. Yeah. I think this is off Wikipedia, probably. Good old Wikipedia. Did you guys open for yeah. the Doors? Yeah, we opened for the. We did. opened for Bowie too. You David did. Bowie, that's uh, oh. Yeah. That's more interesting. Talk to me about Bowie. Did you get? Yeah, the was, <laughs> well, the Doors were good. I mean, they were nice guys, most of them. Bowie was great. What a great guy. After our Apple album, I think we did the uh, Bowie show. Oh, were you? We you see, a, Jacob's Creek didn't open for Bowie. Lon and Derek. I think it was. Yeah, because we had. Yeah, because we had that conga player. So it was after Jacob's Creek. Okay. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Wow. Yeah, we opened up for David Bowie. Uh, which was bizarre. It was at the Tower Theater in, in Philadelphia. Sure. And we came out. I mean, we had a really good band. We had auditioned people in New York because we did some uh, a few of the tracks later in New York after we got back from London. Uh huh. We found this drummer who happened to be. You know, we auditioned all these drummers, and this one guy came up in and just blew our socks off. But he was so good. Wow. Ended up. You probably know of him now, Andy Newmark, who was. Yeah. Sure, flying the family stone. Is that what he did? Yeah, he did a lot of good stuff after that. I mean, but yeah, he was our drummer. We got a conga player, we had a drummer, well, him, organ player. So it's kind of a funky band. Sure. Behind us, but we started the show just coming out with two acoustic guitars, singing a couple songs, just the two of us. Little did we realize that this was right after David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust. There were spacemen in the audience. Sure. Yeah, was ready. You know, they were ready for that. So we got yeah. on with acoustics, and it got really a little bit hairy at first. <laughs> uh, then we brought the band on after a couple songs, and they liked us. They were fine. They were good. Yeah, we we did good. We did good, good. at the show. We did, had a really good uh, acceptance from the crowd. Good. And then Bowie's show came up, and that was fabulous. Man, they were good. I would imagine a crowd that was there to see David Bowie would have to be won over by an opening act like you. I mean that Yeah, I mean he was probably he was a really difference. really yeah, he was really coming up fast at that time. Yeah. And, and this you is know, Ziggy, so he's got the spiky classic. red hair, right? Maybe it was the other one. It was a space one. Ground control major Tom one. Yeah. Is that that was okay, one that's, before Ziggy was that it? was before Ziggy, yeah. Okay, so we're on yeah. so you're on that tour. Okay. Space on yeah. tour. Yeah. Okay. So they were dressed up as, as spacemen. A lot of people in the audience were too. Wow. It was it was fun, and you know oh we had gosh. a good time. Uh, afterwards, there was a party after the show. I mean, it was just really a nice experience. Really? Do you remember it. anything? Did you actually speak to him or have a conversation oh, with yeah. him? Really? Yeah, I don't remember. And what, he was just a good I don't guy. I remember what we talked about. No, he was a great guy. He was just a really good guy. Oh, that's good. He's my yeah, another hero. Another show. I think we did the one with. Yeah, I think with Jacobs Creek, we opened up that around that time period for the Moody Blues too. Really nice. And they were they were great. They really? were nice. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And the Doors were yeah, the. What was that like? Well, the Doors they were more. At least Morrison was more separated from everybody. He wouldn't get involved with talking to many people at all. The other guys okay. in the band, Man's Eric, and the other guys was they were really good nice guys too yeah but you know i always found i always have found that at least in those days musicians we always you know it didn't matter every musician just got along with every with each really? other especially okay good and it was good. just a camaraderie that was went on almost i didn't know if people's egos you know i mean maybe it was different as it was happening now of course people like jim morrison and David Bowie are iconic gods, really. But at the time, they oh, were yeah. working musicians trying to work their way up like anyone else. So I, I just wondered if some of the the ego was there at the time, and it was big, and you had to manage it, 
or if these were regular guys and everyone was sort of in the trenches together. Sounds like that there was that kind of camaraderie. Well, you know, you know what I think it is. I think it's the, the ego is more of a persona that you mm. see, and that might come out more with the general public and with the press, okay. especially because you know those when we played for them, they were already pretty big, big time acts. I mean, the Moody Blues had already done their Nights sure. in White Satin and all that, and you know Bowie had already gotten huge success on that album. Mm-hmm. Major Tom and all that, and the Doors definitely, because they were actually they were quite a bit later on when we played with them. They had, yeah, you true. Know, it was a bit after Light My Fire. I remember Light My Fire came yeah. out when I was in high school. Oh, so man. I was uh, little. Did you know you'd go on to play with them? Crazy. Yeah, I know. I remember I had my first job as a barker on the boardwalk in Seaside Heights, New Jersey, and in those days they had these up where they'd sell records or give them away for prizes and it always blasts all the new songs through the speakers. It always sounded so great. Yeah. Coming out of the speakers outside there and it was just really nice. I remember Light My Fire that summer was a really big one that they played over and over. And that was that still is a fabulous record. I mean yeah. I love that. Yeah, no kidding. But yeah music different when you hear it in those Red big speakers was, like that. Yeah, but I mean, those guys, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, you know, we, as you know, later on went and worked with some of the Beatles, a couple of Beatles stuff, things. Yeah, that's what I wanted to get to. And, yeah, and I don't know if you want to hear any of that, but it's a similar kind of thing that you wouldn't expect. Yeah. Well, so let's jump to that. I mean, you have to know you have one of the most unique stories of anyone on the planet still alive. <laughs> You're discovered yeah. by the Beatles, right? Well, how that? Yeah, you, I'll tell you how that went on, went about. All right, so we did the Jacobs Creek album, played a little bit around, and then you know the album didn't take off or do anything. The keyboard player was really writing a lot of songs, and he was just really into it. And there was a conflict a little bit uh, because my brother Lon wrote a lot of songs, and I did most or most of the lead singing in the in the group. So it kind of went where people kind of, the band basically split up. And I, you know, I think that's kind of the cause, which is very common. You know, you people sure. want to do certain things, direction you want to go, is, I guess would be the best way to say it. So anyway, so the, the band broke up and it was actually Steve, the guitar player too. He ended up going back and living in New York and be, did a lot of good stuff. He, he was a really good guitar player. Good. I went to high school with him. We were in high school together. Wow. But he, did he uh, go on to do anything else? A, oh, yeah. He played. He did a lot with uh, David Bromberg. played on that Phoebe Snow record, Poetry Man. He played sure. guitar on that uh-huh. one. But he was kind of in the New York scene for a while. So he was doing that. And he, had, yeah, he, he died a little while ago. Oh, no. Which is sad. And yeah. It's going to happen more and more, isn't it? Oh, it's happened already a lot. I bet. For you, but yeah. That's part of life, you know? <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Sad part. But anyway, so the band broke up, and Lon and I and our manager stayed with us, and we were in this little house in this, not the best part of Trenton, New Jersey, where we're from. Anyway, so we just decided to go ahead and do something on our own. Uh, we went next door. There was a little, like, junk shop, antique store, antique junk mm-hmm. It was just junk, really. And we bought this little drum for 50 cents. It sounded fabulous. No way. In fact, really? I, used, I, used it, I used it on the Apple album. I also used it on a song we uh, we did with uh, Bobby Hatfield. Wow. So, you know, we wrote some songs. I think it was seven. We did about eight, but we ended up with seven. And we just started banging on things, hitting a banjo with a pencil for a snare drum, getting a hairbrush wow. on our jeans for a sciat, making, you know, different noises for different sounds, using that. Uh, Lon picked up a piano really cheap. He learned how to play it really quick. Okay, okay. And so we did, you know, just overdubbed on a stereo machine. We had two of them, two stereo Sony machines, and We'd both play something, and we'd bring it to the other machine and play something else, and then go back. And we were just overdubbing to make a whole yeah 
sound of the whole band and the song. So we did about, we ended up with seven songs. We had to adjust our speed so we'd start a little bit slower because by the time we got through all the generations that we used, the machine sped up a little bit, so we had to adjust that at the beginning, we learned. So we got through, and and it came out pretty good. Actually, one of the songs we ended up putting it directly on the Apple album. Really? So what we did is we got it, and we made... We made bunches of copies of it, and our manager mailed them to every, with a cover letter, every record label you could think of. I think he mailed uh-huh. about 30, uh-huh. 30-some. We got a couple calls, one from, I think it was Chess Records, Domino, smaller labels. Oh, wow. Chess? Was a medium size. Chess was interested in you guys? I think it was Chess or Domino or something like that. Oh, okay. Was Chess out of Philadelphia? No, Chess was out of Chicago. That was the blues, the big blues. Oh, no, no. Oh. Yeah, no, it wasn't that. I'm sorry, I got it wrong. No, that's okay. Maybe it was Decca. I don't know. Okay. But whatever it was, we went with one, and you know, both of them said, well, we really like what you did. We'll see if you can recreate that in the studio. So they said, come on in the studio, blah, blah, blah. So we did one of them. And we went in and we did what we did in there and then did another one. I think we got offered, some, you know, some kind of minor deal, a couple of minor deals. Okay. And then all of a sudden, our manager gets a call from Apple in England and they said, if you want to come in uh, and you want to record with Apple, we'd like to have you record with us. No, yeah. you know, no strings attached, no nothing, just, you know, we'll send you for you and bring you over. It wasn't a hard choice. Cause I don't know how old you are, but, you know, at that time, the Beatles were already the biggest band ever in the history of the world. Yeah. I mean, you did know, you have your sights set on Apple? Was that kind of your, did you have a preference and Apple was your oh, main that would have been uh, that, that would have been our, our our biggest choice if we had a sure. choice. Sure. But, you know, I don't think we, really expect, we, we didn't expect anything, especially the way it was so much better structure than anybody else that was interested the smaller yeah. ones you know apple just said we'd like you to come and you know we didn't even give it a thought i said yeah of course you know and then things wow. started happening really quick i think uh it was a couple of weeks or I don't, I don't know the time frame but you know we were in new york we met with alan klein we met george we ended up going to the went to the bangladesh concert and sitting with wow. the apple people the wives yoko and all them yeah yeah, what year are we talking uh, about, Derek? Is this, what, 1970? 71. 71, okay. Was, yeah, when we were in London. So it was either, could have been 70, what month? I don't remember the months. Okay. It doesn't Somewhere matter. around there. 71, I know, is I mean. Sure. That's the number that always sticks in my mind. But see what it is. It's got Tony King, who was the A&R guy at Apple, who's a great guy. You know, I'm still friends with him. Oh, wow. He got the tape, you know, because he gets it first. He played it for George. George liked it, played it for Ringo. Ringo liked it. Then somebody, I guess George brought it back to New York where John was and gave it to him to listen to. And he liked it, so they all had to agree on it. And that's when we got the final call saying, wow. yeah, we're all, you know, interested and everybody really thinks it's really good. They Do you remember thought you black. they thought you were black? Yeah. Well, George really? said one time, I, I thought you guys were black when I first heard it. The one song he heard, the one we ended up putting on the album, is really a bluesy song. Which one? I don't one? know if you've ever heard. Have you heard it? I do. I have it. Yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, Warm, Warm Woman. Yeah, warm woman. Excellent. 
Lisa, I heard that, and I thought you were a black girl from New Jersey. Oh, man. And now, did you, when we, you, you got know, the call... That was actually flattering, because we had, like, like, a lot of our roots, Lon and I, when we were growing up, were, like, all our radio we'd listen to was from Chicago, because we lived a couple of years in Kentucky. And the only radio station we got was WLS in yeah. Chicago. And they played, like, Ray Charles, Nathaniel Mayer, Gary U.S. Bonds. I mean, awesome stuff. Yeah, so good. I mean, and that's influencing you, and you're the singer, right? You've got this beautiful falsetto, and he thought you were black. That's crazy. Well, I said just with that song. I mean, the other ones, he didn't think so, but yeah, he thought that. So anyway, so yeah, so we we did that, and then after Bangladesh, we were in a little bit. We signed the deal in New York, and then we went to you know flew over to London. First time I was ever on an airplane. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I was pretty young by today's standards. On and you're—I mean, are you just let's? I mean, we gotta we gotta stop and savor this moment for a minute. I don't know if you savored it then, but we gotta savor it now. You and your brother are a couple of folkies in New Jersey, and you make your own homemade little demo of some songs, and your manager mails no, them to thirty people. Well, you gotta—it's a little bit wrong because we weren't really folkies. Well, yeah, kind of, yeah. And we did kind of. Not really at all. No, what we did is, because even though there was just two of us, uh-huh. we tried to make it sound like a big band. I mean, oh, there was okay. A lot of melodic songs like Sweet Music. Right. Warm Woman was a soulful, bluesy, kind sure. of laid-back, easy easy song. Okay. But then, then there were songs like Maybe There's Another, yeah. which is really a raucous-type song. I'm envisioning so, just you and Lon on your acoustic guitars or some whatever you're making yeah, no, homemade not at all. is sounding kind of mellow. Yeah. Okay, no. Yeah, okay. when you think of that you might yeah, you might come to that conclusion, but it was we didn't wanna that's not what we were doing. Okay. Because what we were trying to do is create a a, a band sound, but because we were doing it all and over does we did a lot of the Apple album that way too in the studio when we got yeah. there. I mean okay. we bang on the walls for the bass drum. In fact, we really damaged one of them. We were the first ones to use it, too, the studio at Apple. Yeah. But, I mean, so you're on this plane, and you're on the plane for the first time, and you're flying to London because the Beatles are wanting you to come there. They've bought this ticket for you. What's going through your mind? Well, you know, we're young. We're also young. Yeah. And our first thought, I mean, we figured, okay, we're already, you know, Got it made. Everything's going to be great. Sure. We get to really do our music without having people, you know, controlling us that much. Because the one thing that they stress all the time with Apple, and you may have read that, is that they want the artists to have complete control over their mm-hmm. art of what they're doing. And that's what they did with Apple. That's what they started, and that's what they were trying to do. Right. So you had artistic control. You had... You know anything you wanted, they took care of. That's incredible. So it was it was really cool. And then, you know, we we pulled in the Heathrow Airport in London, and they had a driver waiting for us there. <laughs> this Italian guy, but he was in he lived in London. He was in, he was English, uh-huh. but he was Italian. Anyway, he took off, and you know, there we are driving on the wrong side of the road. And yeah. first place we first place we go is to Ascot, John's house. Oh man! And we got oh, there. Man. And we just went there. But nobody was there, so we just got out and looked around and walked. 
and he was just showing us and saying, yeah, this is uh, John's house, and we went by the lake, and it's all white. It was really beautiful. Really? Was it huge? Oh, well, yeah, it was big. Yeah. Not as big as Georgia. So then we went. I've seen the pictures of there Georgia. Yeah, we went to there, which is yeah, his place, Rio Park. It's got a name. Yeah. And that place was just, you know, we got to the front gate, and, you know, we seemed like once we got in the front front gate, we were going another mile just to get to the house. Yeah, I bet. Inside the property. It was so big. And it was like, uh, you know, you could, I guess here we'd call it a castle. It had mm-hmm. 40 bedrooms. I don't know how oh. many bathrooms, 25 or 30. Gigantic. Oh my god. And it was our and it was artistic. This guy, Frankie Crisp, who built it, the architect was uh I mean there's statues all around on the outside. It was just fabulous. Are you seeing this and thinking crazy. this could be us? No, we didn't go that no, far. You know, we didn't were go just, that far. No, we we were just in awe of that. I mean that was yeah. and then we pulled up and Klaus, who also was living on the property, there's another guest house on the way that he lived in, uh-huh. Klaus Vorman. And George were both sitting on the front in the grass when we pulled up. And we got out, and they were playing sweet music. No and way. We, and we were like, you know, wow. George Harrison is sitting on his yeah, front lawn playing your song as you pull up to his house. I know. that was My gosh. Man. Wow, that was one of the big. Yeah, that was a big moment, and you know we're still yeah. pretty beat up from the plane flight. Sure. So it's you know things are a little bit quick happening for us. There. Yeah. Now does Paul factor in at all? Because I get the impression Paul was sort of more not on the outskirts necessarily of the band, although you know those things were happening too. But he wasn't as involved in like the Apple day to day business stuff. Right. That's pretty much it. Yeah, we okay. met Paul a couple times when this he was there at the studio opening party for the Apple Studios because that was going on while we were there. Uh huh. Okay. They had just completed it, and we ended up outside of the first track, "Sweet Music," which we did in uh, Abbey Road. The rest of the Apple uh, sessions were done at Apple Studios. So. Right. Okay. We ended up being the first ones there. We also ended up playing and meeting Richard Perry, who later got involved in some things that we did, too, in L.A. So Richard was out there. That's where we did Bobby Hatfield. Richard heard, okay. my, little 50, Richard heard my little 50-cent drum, and he loved it. And he said, well, uh-huh. play on that. Nice. Wow. <laughs> I played I don't think they ever released it, whatever it was. But that was uh, fun. I loved playing that little thing. It was yellow. That's crazy. 50 cents. Yeah. Wow. And you met John a couple times? Sounds like two. Yeah, we met John a few times. Met him again in New York. He was doing that song, uh, Woman is the Nigger of the World. Woman is the nigger of the world. Yes, she is. Think about it. Is the nigga of the world Think about it, do something about it We make a paint a face and dance If she won't be a slave and say that she don't love If she's real, we say she's trying to be a man sounds like you did the most sort of collaborating with George and Ringo. Were they the two that you became right. the friendliest with? Right. And Klaus was involved a lot. And Klaus, Klaus Foreman. Okay. He produced most of the album and George produced sweet music, but he was around and Patty was around a lot too. 
Okay. Was there a, was were the guys friendly with each other? Because I, I, I'll tell you, I mean, I don't, I'm not an expert on this, but I, I mean, everyone knows about the Beatles. The impression I've had is that because John and Paul are the main songwriters, they're sort of islands unto themselves. And George and Ringo being seen as sort of like, you know, third-rate citizens or whatever, that they kind of become, their bond and friendship maybe is tighter with each other than with the other guys. And that's why yeah, no, maybe they were the ones yeah. who were collaborating with together and playing with you, and Paul and John are sort of off doing their own thing. Maybe I'm way you over know, I don't know. See, Klaus ended up, first of all, Klaus, you know, Klaus was in Manfred Man. He's really mm-hmm. a trained artist. He did the Revolver cover. He drew that. Oh, wow, and, yes, you know, that's he's, right. He's a great, a great bass player. And he was really tight with George, but he also played on a lot of the Lennon early yeah. stuff. Imagine all that, played bass on all, and he played bass on most a lot of George's stuff too. Okay. So the three of them were pretty tight. I mean, John may have been more separate because he was, you know, really busy running, running, doing his own stuff. But in a way, you're right. I mean. But I never thought of it that much that way. Okay, you weren't you know, while you're there. You're not doing, witnessing any kind of tension between guys, or well, you know, if there was any, it was a separation. It was a, there might have been a little bit of separation there that I noticed with McCartney. Oh, okay, because you know, obviously there was probably. I mean, I would imagine there was something go. You know, breakups mm-hmm. never fun. Yeah. Whenever you know when that happened, so all those you know, everybody was there at the studio opening party. Yeah, okay. You know, so... So they're decent to each other then. Okay. Yeah, there was never anything like that. I mean, oh, that good. I saw okay. at so all. You didn't see any of that. Okay, good. Good, No, good. I mean, okay. there was... There might have been bad... There might have been some bad feelings, but it didn't go beyond... Yeah, okay. Anybody could notice. At least I couldn't. But, you know, I wasn't there with them every day. Right, right. Okay. Do you know or do you have an idea... Was it the manager that heard your demo, or did George actually hear the, the demo and like it? Well, they all heard the demo. All, they all did. Do you know what them, it was? All the, well, all three of them. Not, not Paul. Paul didn't right. hear it. Okay. But the first one who heard it was the head of A&R, artist, the, the guy who's really the musical responsible, Tony King. He was uh-huh. the Apple Records' main guy. Right. Our main musical initial contact I guess you'd call it yep. and then he played it for George George heard it and then George played it for Ringo and Ringo then they all both liked it and then I don't know I think it was George that played it for uh, John huh. but that he had brought it to New York to play it and he liked it okay. so they all three of it, the first three heard it do you know what it was they heard that they liked so much was it the just the song was there a Quality in your voice. Well, they, George, well, George loved sweet music. I mean, I know that was. Mm-hmm. They liked a lot of it. Um, I know he loved sweet music. They liked loved warm woman. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else was on it. Without the Lord, uh, I think they liked that one. Yeah, George actually nicked a little melody part of that one for uh, <laughs> Miss Adele. That's fun. You, you were there. You were his discovery. He probably felt like he could. Uh, well, he, he listen to it. You'll hear it. It's yeah. the part that goes. I've uh, heard it. I'll have to go back the, and listen to it again. Just to well, without the Lord goes out of the madman. About the sun and the moon and the sun. Those that phrase. Mm-hmm. It's, like that. it's in this hotel. Yeah. I forgot how it goes in this hotel, but it's like, 
But he, so, you know, he kind of asked me, so it's okay. I'm the only one down here who's got nothing to say about the war or the rights that he's going astray on his way to Bombay. But yeah, wow. I know they like okay. those. Good. Maybe there's another. I'm not sure if that was on the demo, but that was one that was pretty good too. Okay. It seems to me that other than Badfinger, not a lot of those Apple artists really broke through, you know. And well, James Taylor did. Yeah, but he he broke through famously actually after he left Apple. His Apple record right. kind of died on right. the line. He did. You know, but and Carolina then he left. On my mind was a pretty good. Oh, That's definitely. True. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But he got much bigger after he left. And Billy that Preston. was true. Billy Preston. Now there's a couple. Billy Preston did pretty good. I think he got bigger after he left too. I could be wrong. I mean, I wasn't there, but I wondered. It seems like I wonder if I wonder why their Midas touch didn't amount to greater success for their artists. Do you know? Do you have an idea? I have no idea. No. I mean, from what you said, because you sound like you know more about it than that, I don't follow the business part. I didn't realize it was uh, after they had left that they had more of a success. But yeah. that that would imply to, that would imply to me that the promotional part of it wasn't as maybe that's as it. it should have been. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, the Beatles, they didn't have to worry about promoting. No. You know, there's whatever they came out with, you know, it didn't matter. They were going to right. get heard. And maybe they well, figured just attaching their names to these artists was enough to break them through. But bad, Badfinger did do well, too. George, I don't or uh, Paul wrote some of those bigger hits, though, too, you know. Um, maybe that helped. I don't know. Maybe. But did yeah, you... I don't, um, know. I don't know the, I don't know the answer. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure we've. I'm sure we've thought about it in the past. Yeah. So do you? Uh, how do you look back then? I mean, brother comes out, and I don't even. I, this is the part I'm really fuzzy on. I don't know how well it did. I don't know, you know, how much success you had from that. Did you have hits on the charts? Were things getting played on the radio? Did you play bigger crowds? What was your life yeah, like I, when I, brother was out? Once it got out, of course, and we moved back to New Jersey. Actually, we moved out to Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, in our situation, what happened is before we left England, George apologized and said, I'm really sorry because Apple was starting. He realized the breakup of Apple was happening or was imminent. And he said, you know, it's not really right. Or this, I don't know the time frame. It might have been after we got back. Okay. But at some point, when it was supposed to be promoted, he apologized for the lack of promotion and saying that the you know the, he felt really bad about it. That hmm. he was really sorry that the record label wasn't going to help be doing the job they should. And he got a hold of Richard Perry, who he had met. I was telling you in, in London anyway earlier. Got us in touch with him. To uh, for Richard to work with us on another record, right? So George felt really bad. In fact, he wrote a really scathing wire. That's what they did in those days: a wire uh-huh. Uh-huh. to Alan Klein saying, "Why don't you get things going?" He said a little stronger than that. Yeah, you know, he said sweet music. He's like, "Hey, why don't you do it?" And he would. I mean, because it's you know, it's kind of his. It's like isn't a pity revisited, right? same instrumentation so so I think that's in our situation what happened so what we ended up doing 
is soon after. We didn't do enough, and I also think we didn't play enough. We didn't have our live shows lined up well. Our agent mm. didn't get okay. us. Uh, so we didn't really get out there. We should have. We would have helped. Yeah. We got a call from Richard, and he sent us to L.A., and we moved to L.A. after that and got with A&M, and that's where we ended up doing that album. Yeah. And I don't know if you probably know it, but, uh, you know, Richard at the time was one of the top producers in the around mm-hmm. uh, anywhere. Sure. Yeah. He's done Carly Simon, uh, Gere Sylvain, and all yeah. these people, you know. Definitely. He did Ringo's, Ringo's stuff, different people. Yeah. Even Andy Williams. Yeah, I heard about Yeah, I read that somewhere. And we, got, we did a lot of sessions with him, too, when we were in L.A. So... Yeah. Back to brother, though, real quick. I mean, you know, you're back in New Jersey. Are you waiting for, like, success to kind of fall out of the sky? Like, if that's what you've been set up to believe is going to happen? Or is it sort of a, are you disappointed? How are you feeling when brother isn't becoming, you know, a bigger deal? Probably bad. Yeah. I'm trying to think back on how I felt. A little bit, maybe a little bit shocked. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe not. Maybe I don't know. You know, it's hard to remember. Yeah. But I would think that you know we were probably at least myself that you know well it's, it didn't happen didn't go out and then we figured well George said he'd get us with Richard and maybe that'll work better. Really. So at the time it's even though it's not happening you just think well this is step one and that one didn't go quite like we wanted it to we'll go on to the next step not a big deal. Uh-huh. We're in this. Is that kind of more how you're thinking? Uh, it, it was like if you, you know, you're a musician. You're going to write and play songs. You're going to play live. You're going to do those things. Yeah. Okay. If we hadn't gotten the deal with Apple, we'd have been playing around the Northeast or New Jersey or somewhere, mm-hmm. and we'd still be doing that. I mean, it's what you do when you're doing yeah. it, and you know, success would be great. And everybody wants to have success, and you know, also the money, and you'll be, you know, survive well, and everything right. that goes with that. But, but the same, at the same time, you know, you still write songs and you play and you sing. I mean, I still do that today, and you know. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. I just, yeah, you, know, you just, you just do you it. Just you do like it. doing it. Yeah. Well, you else. like doing it, yeah. and you enjoy it, and you get better and better, and learn, and yeah enjoy, you know, what you try to do and try to get Good. ideas across. So, you know, there wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, oh, we didn't make it, so we're going to quit. Okay. There was no, okay. none of, none of yeah. that. There was no, uh, uh, no disappointment that you couldn't bounce back from pretty easily. Uh, well, yeah, and I'm sure at the time, and again, mm-hmm. it's hard to remember. It was a long time ago. But I'm sure at the time it was... Uh, there was some disappointment, but we saw the writing on the wall with what George said. Uh-huh. And, you know, if they can't promote the record because the label's going belly up, yeah, you know, is lack of a better way to say it. You're not going to probably get too much. I mean, it was a shame because initially we got a, a review in Rolling Stone magazine, which was the top magazine at that sure. time for uh-huh. music. It was just awesome review. We got a phenomenal oh, review. In fact, recently they actually put another thing out a few months ago. It was called something like uh, some of the albums that we talked about in the past that you should take another listen to. Oh, interesting. And they put, and they put Brother on that one. Great. And that was only a few months ago. Oh, nice. Yeah, we also it Great. was also re-released. It was re-released about a year ago or so on... Uh, CD too. Yeah, okay. that's. I wanted to ask you about that because it's like impossible to find. Yeah, I found used. I think there's used copies on Amazon for like thirty bucks, but you can't buy on, it uh, on iTunes. It's not on Spotify. Your stuff is really difficult to find. I wonder why really? that is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I go to, unless I, I mean, I look for it a lot. If I go to Spotify, black and white is the only thing I can find. Yeah, um, and not that there. I mean, that's a great album. But anyone who wants the true brother album, the original, that is really yeah. hard to track down. See, I didn't even know because I never looked for it. I have a copy. <laughs> oh, really? On CD? 
Yeah, I got a couple of them. Really? Well, yeah, yeah I, I have a hard time finding them. They had to reissue because they ran out of the first batch. Yeah. I don't know. How many, I don't remember how many they made, but I know they they did sell out of the first batch. It's kind of a collector's thing. I guess maybe, what, maybe they wanted to keep it a collector's record. You can buy it on vinyl. Vinyl's easier to come by than CD. In fact, I was going to tell you. I, I usually in these interviews tell the person because I'm always I'm looking for kind of I don't know if obscure is a bad word, but the more obscure artists that put out music that I really like. And I actually discovered yeah. you guys seven or eight years ago. I was in a record store here in Denver on Colfax called Jerry's. It's out of business okay. now. I don't know if you even know what it is. But I saw the Brother album, and I hope this you got to admit, the Brother album cover is one of the goofiest, weirdest-looking album covers ever, right? It took me years to realize that. It never really? crossed my mind. It never <laughs> crossed my mind. It never crossed my mind, and then I heard some people talk about that they wouldn't, they didn't buy it when they should have because uh-huh. of the cover. Yeah. And I went back and I said, oh, yeah, I guess that's maybe a put off somehow. And I can't remember if it was Klaus or the. I know Klaus was involved in the cover because Klaus always does. You know, he was always involved in the artistic part. Okay. Um, I can't remember if it was him or the uh, photographer that was uh, came up with the idea of doing it like, uh, you know, brotherly love. That's all it was. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, um, it also looks slightly uh, yeah, over, uh, yeah. You both don't have your shirts I know, on. And, I, know, yeah, yeah. I know. I had <laughs> never heard of you guys, and I saw that album cover, and... <laughs> I don't. I purposely don't collect vinyl. I've said this many times before because I don't trust myself that I wouldn't spend every cent I have in this world on vinyl records, and my wife would just divorce me, and I'd put us in the poorhouse. So uh, I was in this record store though, and I wrote down the name because I was so blown away by that album cover. I thought I got to figure out who these guys are, and I wrote down the name and went home and did some research, and that's when I found out all this stuff. This was seven or eight years ago now. But yeah, that, that cover. Yeah, I know. Come to find out, right? Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, actually, I thought about Lon and I are working on something. I, I I suggest to talk to to make it available on vinyl. Okay. Well, that's that all way. the rage now, right? Yeah, you got to do that now. Yeah, the big rage. Yeah. Do it both. Yeah. And maybe you know maybe it's a good idea to put it on vinyl because people like it. You know, yeah. you know, some of the millennials are really into it. Yeah. So, okay, the brother period is over with. Did you keep in touch with those, with the, any of the Beatles guys after that? Uh, Well, yeah, we did. You did, okay. Especially, especially Ringo, Ringo a lot, George a bit, too. Okay. Because when we, we moved to L.A. to go, you know, do something with Richard. Yeah. So there we are. Klaus moved to L.A., Badfinger are the ones that were left. At least Joey, Joey Milan, was in L.A. And, you know, we'd all get together. We met a lot of new people. Uh, Harry Nielsen, who I mm-hmm. did some, we did a thing with him in uh, England with uh, Richard, because Richard yep. ended up producing Without You. And a lot of Harry's stuff. We became real, I became really tight with Harry. We had a great time in L.A. Yeah. But, you know, he was there. George moved out there. George opened up. Uh, we got the contract with Richard with A&M Records on La Brea. Then George ended up opening Dark Horse as a subsidiary of A&M Records. Okay. He his office right there on the A&M lot. I don't know if you were ever out there, but it's the old, it was the old uh, Charlotte Chaplin movie studio lot. Oh, A&M. right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. It was really cool. So the sound stage where they used to play is where we rehearsed. I remember the first time, well, one of the times we were rehearsing, uh, police were just coming, going out, and they uh, followed us. Or no, they were ahead of us. We, so we were listening to them as we were. To the police? Uh, waiting to go. Yeah. Wow. Because they did that. They were on A&M. Yeah, yeah. 
I guess I've so just, said, that yeah, seems no. like two, the convergence of two very different worlds. You said you weren't folky, but that sort of summer of love sound, you know, the hippie sound of brother versus the new wave punkish sound. Of, I just would never imagine your paths crossing, but it is that time when things are starting. One one generation is sort of winding down, and the other one is starting to wind. Yeah, up. there was yeah there was there was a there was definitely a change. The biggest change happened with disco. Yeah. At that time, and you know that was something I wasn't really that into. The disco beat. I yeah. like the police and the more new age punk stuff. I like that. But you weren't into disco. Not into disco, no. Okay. And I had like okay. some of the some of the stuff, like B, some of the BG stuff. There were some good yeah. things. Sure. There were some really good things. But uh, yeah, they were there, and uh, that's where we sang backgrounds for Rook George on Dark Horse. We were there, and he just pulled up one day and said, "Hey, why don't you guys sing background on this? My voice cool. is hoarse. Sing background, okay?" So we did this. We just went in the studio right there and just did it. Uh, that's where we did a lot of the stuff, like photograph. Well, that was when we first got to LA. We did photograph with um, Ringo song. Okay. Yep. That was Richard Perry. Um, played. I played a flute part on Carly Simon's record. Really? <laughs> that Richard did, playing Possum, nice. I think it's called, the album. I did something for Garfunkel, played guitar. Yeah, great. Uh, we, played, we played a lot of a lot of sessions, a lot of people like that. And of course, Harry okay. did stuff with Harry all the time. And yeah. And that's how you're making your living. As a session musician in L.A., that's how you're making your living for the next uh, Well, we, we, did different, we did different stuff. I mean, first we were, you know, recording with A&M. And we do occasional sessions in between. Because there were some guys that were always around, Jim Keltner, and he was always mm-hmm. doing stuff. And Klaus was out there, he was doing stuff. And we'd get on a few of those things they were doing. I mean, Dr. John was playing on some of the stuff. It was phenomenal. Wow. Really? Dr. John? Uh, whoa, wow. What a piano player. Yeah. Amazing. Interesting. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, think I that's interesting to find out who really a, impressed I was, you. I think it was a session we did with Harry Nilsson. Uh-huh. Dr. John was there. There was a huge group of people playing. I don't know. I think we were like one of the three or four groups of guitar groups that was in there. But Dr. John was playing. I think Kelvin and Ringo might have been playing drums, too. It was really funny because, you know, okay, we took a break, and Dr. John just sat at his piano and kept playing. And just playing, everybody gets around the piano and just, just their jaws are dropping. And these are like some of the best players, the other people. Right. You know, just watching him and just in awe of how great he is. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That is great. Good. Good. And somewhere in there, you guys put out a second album, right? Who do you outdo?
Yeah, we, we did the, the A&M album, Who Do You Out There? That one's even harder to find, by the way. Uh, I don't think that ever made it that, to I, CD. I, I know it? that never. That one never came out digital. There's a lot of people that keep asking me, when, are you gonna, when is it going to come out in digital? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Is it not your call? Not yet. Okay. But someday it might be, if I live long enough. Yeah. That stuff's got to be out there. Don't you think, Derek? I mean, that's what secures your legacy, right? Is having people getting access to your music. I mean, you know, you guys are a part of history. You're a part of Beatles history, which gets told, you know, all the time. Legends and books will be written about the Beatles forever, and you're a sliver of that. And people are going to read that stuff, and they're going to want to know more about you. That's what happened to me. And then it's impossible to find your stuff, you know? Yeah, I don't know how to deal with that. I'm not a business person, you know. I don't sure. know how to get. Yeah, I know what you mean. To, I'm not either. I mean, I know Lon did a lot of work to get the situation to get the digital release of the Brother album, and that finally happened. But as you say, I didn't even realize it wasn't available because I don't, you know, I don't look for it. Yeah, but do you, you know, get this is, like, if this is too personal, you can tell me. But are are you not getting like royalty statements periodically that would include? Oh yeah, we do. Sure. Okay, you do. Yeah. yeah. But how you know? Are you digging through them with a fine tooth comb? Maybe not. Because yeah, I can't find that stuff online digitally anywhere. I'd rather hold the CD in my hand, just so you know. I mean, I prefer hard copies of these things. But well, uh, a lot of people, a lot of people do, and I don't know how old you are, but it seems like people that are older seem to want yeah, something. Yeah, I'm in tangible. my. I'm 42, so yeah. Oh, okay. And some of the younger and the younger people, that's what they like to understand yeah. about vinyl is you can hold it in your hand and it's something tangible right. outside of just a streaming record. Yeah. And yeah. You just listen to it. It's not really real. Yeah. There's no liner notes. There's none of that. I know. It's no fun. I um, mean, when we did, when we did, you know, when we did records and everybody else that did records, you know, it's very important how you structure the sequencing of the songs, right? Yeah. I mean, and that made a record better than yep. it would be if you did a different sequencing. Yep. You know, you end with some nice long ballad or you end with yes. something really powerful and you want to You're start the side of the record out. Yeah. Strong and build it or, you know, and then come down and then sure. pop it back up at the end. It's kind of like a live show. Totally. That's a lost art, that sequencing. I mean, a lot of thought goes into all yeah. that. You know, the oh, mood and, and the journey yeah, you're taking a listener on. Yeah. I can, you know, I can tell you on the Brother album, I mean, how much time and, you know, everybody throwing in Rich, uh, not Rich, Rich, Klaus and George and Ringo. I mean, everybody had their idea how the sequencing should go. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I know Tony King played it for... Uh, Elton John, who he knew real well. Actually, he works for him now. Tony oh, King, wow. the guy from Apple. Uh huh. And he came back and said, "Yeah, I played it for Elton." And he said, uh, "You should put out Sunshine as a single." I never That was Elton. Elton thought that. Yeah. 
Well, now, even then, there, like was no, there was no was way the we were going to do way. that because George produced Sweet Music. But Sweet Music wasn't even the first single, I don't believe. I think Warm Woman was. No, it was. No, oh, I read somewhere second. that Warm Woman was the first single. Or I think Warm Woman was second. Yeah, okay. Sweet Music was first. I'm almost positive. Okay. It had to okay. be. Good, yeah, I had that wrong. I read somewhere that it wasn't, and I just thought that makes no sense then at all. No, it had to be. Okay. I, I know George. George really believed in that, you know. Sure, he I produced it. Really yeah. So let's. Um, yeah, I, I think I think he loved he loved the song too. So let's kind of jump then. I mean, I've had you for an hour. You're so gracious with your time. Thank you. What have you been doing? First of all, why do you live in Denver? And what do you do now? What do you? What does Derek Van Eaton do for a living now? I don't do anything. <laughs> really? Are you retired? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. What did you do? Yeah, no, I, I just sit. You know what I do? I just sit. I, I, I sit here. I have my music room with my computer, uh-huh. my speakers, and my keyboard, and my guitars, and my bass. I sit here and I write songs, and I put all. I, I do it all digitally. Just put everything down. Uh huh. And uh, you know, do the vocal, do just do the whole thing here. Does any of that get released? Uh, I know you guys put out like not, an No, not yet. I'm not, I'm thinking about see, Lon and Lon and I are working on a, another uh, CD, I guess you'd say, kind of. Okay. Uh huh. He was living out here in Castle Rock, but then he moved. I thought to he Pennsylvania. was. He moved. Okay. He wants to move. He wants to move back here, though. Yeah. So he may be moving back soon. But even though we're sending things, you know, you can send files back and forth. So we're kind of doing it. It's a little harder doing it that way, but it's that's yeah. what we're doing. Okay. We've got pretty much half of a record done. Good. Okay. And we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll put that out. I was working a lot of my own things. Okay. And, you know, just whatever it is, just doing it, and it's, just fun to do. Like I was telling yeah. you before, you know, you do it, you do it because you like it, right? But how? I sure. mean, that stuff doesn't pay your bills. How do you? How does Derek Van Eaton pay his bills? Oh, I live very modestly and have have enough to get through. I'm I'm good. There you have it, Derek Van Eaton. Can you believe that? I think that stuff is so interesting. Went to a party with Andy Warhol, open for Bowie, you know I love that, open for The Doors, Moody Blues. I mean, if you were to be standing next to Derek Van Eaton in a grocery store at the checkout line, would you have any idea the experiences that the man standing next to you had gone through in his life? You wouldn't. That's why I think stuff like this is so fascinating. You would never know that story otherwise. And Westminster, Colorado is a nice place, but I mean, it's basically suburbia. So I wish he hadn't been so cagey about what he does for a living or what he's been doing the last 30 years. I mean, I guess it's none of my business. Maybe his wife works. I just think that's an interesting bookend to someone's story, you know? I was a musician and now I do this. Oh well. Anyway, fascinating stuff. A little bit of important history. If you ask me, the kind of history that gets lost and is floating around out there, and if we find it or pay more attention to it, it enriches us. I think that's fascinating. By the way, Derek had a cold, and he was kind enough to talk to me anyway, even though he didn't feel very good. I really, really appreciate that. Huge thanks to Yan for producing the podcast. As always, we love him. Thanks, guys, for listening. Find us on iTunes. Write us a review. We haven't had any reviews written for a while. Write a review. Subscribe to the podcast. Go back into the archives. I bet you there's other things in there. If you're new to this, other guests that we've had that you will like. Find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can communicate with me that way if you want. You can send me ideas of people you'd like me to track down. You could email me at thehustlepod at gmail.com and find us that way. There's a lot of different things you could do. Go to YouTube and subscribe to the Hustle Podcast playlist. Just type that in. I load up videos of our guests, kind of obscure things, interviews, live footage, videos that were obscure but still played on MTV, that kind of a stuff, so that people can kind of get to know what we're talking about. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. I've been